0: Everybody, I'd like to welcome you back to your seat as we prepare for the Bible study this morning. And it is a hum so, first service was wonderful. Um, we've had some great guest speakers while Pastor Ross has been gone with the Israel team, and today's no exception. We have somebody who might be familiar to you guys because he's shared here before uh, Pastor Bobby Kirchner from Big Valley Grace. Uh, church in Modesto. He's the executive pastor there and he shared uh, with us not too long ago actually and we're excited to have him back. So let's welcome him up together. Pastor Bobby. Thanks. Uh, well good morning. It is uh, great to be with you guys again. My wife and I just have really enjoyed uh, being with you. There's something that's just really uh, special about being able to be in the fellowship of other believers. And uh, when Christ is at the center, we can travel to any church uh, in California or anywhere in the world. And it's Christ that unites us. And it's just really, really great to to be able to have fellowship with you uh, this morning. I do bring greetings from uh, uh, my home church in Big Valley Grace uh, Community Church in Modesto, California. And uh, I actually flew in. I haven't been home in two weeks. I flew in from uh, uh, Washington, D.C. on late, late Friday night. I was with uh, uh, 40, about 48th grade students on a historical studies tour in Washington, D.C., and in Virginia and Philadelphia. And uh, like I said, got back about midnight in San Francisco, and my wife picked me up. Um, these eighth graders, uh, one of them was my daughter, a student at Big Valley Christian School. And uh, it is really, really good to be with adults right now. <laughs> I just want you to know. It just, uh, it's just really, really good. So um, anyhow, that was, uh, that was a fantastic trip. Um, the, uh, the last three months at Big Valley Grace, uh, we've had a special uh, prayer emphasis for the men in our church and um, every weekend, we take time out of the services, and we have our men stand, and we challenge them from Scripture. Uh, we challenge them to be godly men, and then we, uh, we pray over them. And in fact, it was just a, a few weeks ago that the uh, women of our church had a chance to, to write out the names of the special men in their life and bring those names forward. And we were able to take hundreds of cards that represented thousands of men, and Bring them up forward and put them on the cross. They're still there today uh, as we just for the rest of this month are uh, praying for those men and uh, lifting them up uh, not only on the weekends, but also uh, throughout uh, the week. And uh, beginning next month, we're going to begin a special prayer emphasis for the women uh, of our church as well. But I wanted to take a moment to, uh, to kind of in that same light pray over the men of the Rock uh, church, And so I'm going to ask you, men, uh, no matter your age or stage of life, uh, men, if you would go ahead and stand uh, at this moment. And uh, I want to just address you specifically real quick and also pray uh, a blessing over you. And uh, really, I want to bring to you uh, what we call at Big Valley or have called a biblical mandate, a biblical mandate for men. And it comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and it says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men and be strong. I just want to go over that real quickly again. Be watchful men. We need the men to be watchful in our church, watchful in our homes. We recognize that we are in a battle. We're in a battle, we're in a war with demons. That's what the scriptures tell us. And men, we need you to be watchful. And we need you to stand firm in the faith. Be willing to stand up and be planted in the rock. We live in a culture where things are very relative right now. There's not a, there's, there's not a commitment to, to truth. And men, we need you to be standing firm in the faith. And then it says, act like men. And really in the context of this, what it's saying is be courageous, men. Have courage. Courage to stand up for what's right. Courage to to be a, a biblical version of what it means to be a man. And finally, it says be strong. Be strong in your homes. Be strong in your workplaces. Be strong wherever you go, representing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's your biblical mandate this morning, man. And I just want to take a moment to to pray over you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm encouraged just to look out at the men of the Rock Church. Father, and I just pray blessings upon them this morning. It is not easy to be a man in this day and age and to represent what you have called men to be. Your word's clear. You, you, didn't, you didn't create men as more important than women, but you made them different. And Father, would we celebrate those differences? And would we continue to be in prayer for our men that they would be godly men, that they would be strong, that they would be watchful, that they would act like men and be courageous, and that they would stand firm in the faith. And I pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you. Well, uh, Richard Phillips, in his book, The Masculine Mandate, writes this. One mark of a true godly man is his faithfulness in friendship to other men especially to Christian brothers. The Bible celebrates the true friend, and most of us find that godly male companions are amongst the most blessed resources in life. And this morning, we will be looking at a message I've titled, The Necessity of Godly Friendship for Men and for Women. And it's taken from 1 Samuel 18 through 23. In fact, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you would go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel 18. And if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen. But if I had to sum up this entire message in one sentence, it would be this. God designed each one of us to experience authentic biblical community with godly friends. Let me say that again. God designed each one of us to experience authentic biblical community with godly friends. And if you've got a a, a pen with you and maybe a place you're taking notes, I wanna have you do something here in just a minute. If you don't, you can just kinda maybe do this mentally. But I'd like you to draw a box. Draw a box in your notes right now. It doesn't have to be real big, but draw a box where you could write A couple things in there. If you don't, again, if you don't, just imagine that box. And inside that box, I want you to write a name or names of your most godly friends. Okay, not yet. But I want you to think about who those names would be of your most godly friends. And when I say godly friends, I'm talking about those that you have authentic biblical community with that know you inside and out that are willing to say the hard things to you when they need to be said. Go ahead and take a moment to, to write out a name or two. Imagine that name or two. I'm sure each one of you have a lot of friends, probably a lot of good friends. But I'm talking about those friends again that are those friends that are going to point you toward Jesus. They know you inside and out. You go to them with everything, and if you're not going to them, they're coming to you asking. Who are those friends? Now, if you're fortunate, you might have a few. But there's probably a pretty good chance that some of you maybe have an empty box right now. I'm going to come back to that box later. But first, we're going to take a look at what God's word has to say about biblical friendship. But before we pick up uh, in First Samuel eighteen, which is our the beginning of our text today, I'm going to get you caught up just briefly with what happened right after or before that. First Samuel is just a fascinating book, and I encourage you to take the time to uh, to read through it possibly this week and. Uh, going into second Samuel right after that is, uh, is is just absolutely a treat, but in first Samuel eighteen before this uh, Samuel um, who was a judge over the nation of Israel, he became old. It was time for him to retire, and the people of Israel demanded a king instead of the judge that God had appointed, they wanted a king so they could be like every other nation that had a king. Even though God identified this request as a rejection of not just Samuel, but as a rejection of him, he granted Israel's request and gave them a king. And Saul was the first king of Israel. Now, initially, Saul was a very successful king. He won many battles, and the scriptures tell us that God was on his side. But he began to do things his way rather than God's way, and that's when things began to fall apart. We could probably each identify with that. When we do things our way instead of God's way, and then things don't go so well. Now, Saul had a son named Jonathan, And Jonathan was one of the best, if not the best leader in battle. This guy was an all-star. And not just that, but just uh, because he was the son of the king, uh, the, the kingdom was his to inherit. When it was no longer Saul's, Jonathan was next in line. Now, due to Saul's continual disobedience, God eventually rejected Saul and was no longer On his side. Now you go back and read this, and what's really interesting is is Saul starts to panic, and one of the things he realizes uh, is that uh, David has found favor from the Lord. In fact, simultaneously, this God anoints David as king. So Saul recruits David, and David becomes his armor bearer, and David found favor. With Saul. Now, Saul was still king before the people, but David had anointed, or excuse me, God had anointed David as the rightful king. But still at this time, Saul is reigning as king, and he realizes that David has the favor of the Lord. And so again, he, he brings him in, makes him his armor bearer. David had then found favor with Saul. Now David volunteered to fight. Goliath and David, we're all familiar with that story, and David successfully kills the giant, and that was really the beginning of many great things for David. Now, that kind of catches it up to this point. All that has transpired, and here we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 18, and again, I'm not going to go into all of it, but it's worth uh, reading the rest of the story and seeing how uh, Saul really fell apart and uh, eventually killed himself. Um, So let's pick up in 1 Samuel 18, and we're going to look at five aspects of Jonathan and David's friendship. And that's really what I want to highlight this morning. This very unique relationship between Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and David, the next king. So first, Jonathan had a very special friendship with David, despite the fact that he was next in line to be king. He knew that God's plan was for David to be the next king. First Samuel 18 verses 1 through 4 says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. That's a pretty special friendship. And really what's at the key of this friendship is even though Jonathan in a sense was entitled to get to be the next king, he knew that God's plan was different. And he was all in on God's plan, even though it may have not been as good for him, so to speak. That makes for a really special friendship when God is at the center. Now, second, Saul became jealous of David and tried to kill him. Jonathan knew God's plan and was willing to follow God's plan, even if it meant betraying his own father. 1 Samuel 19, one through 3 said, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning, go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. This is interesting because not only was Jonathan willing to say, hey, I'll give up my right to the throne because I know this is God's plan for David to be the king. But he recognizes to the point of submission to the Lord's plan that he's even willing to go behind his own dad's back to follow the Lord's plan at great risk to himself. You'll read in the story if you uh, look into it more that, that there were many moments where he had to warn Uh, David, just to be able to save his life. So third, Saul continued to try and kill David. And Jonathan continued to be loyal to David and do whatever he could to protect him, including be a great encouragement to him. 1 Samuel 21 through 4 says, Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. But David took an oath and said, your father knows, knows very well that I have found favor and he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And we see here that Jonathan was loyal to his friend and he was a great encouragement to him. And fourth, Jonathan remained a godly friend to David even at great risk to himself personally. 1 Samuel 20, verses 30 to 33. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled a spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Just imagine the personal sacrifice of his own dad saying some of these horrible things to him and getting so angry that he throws a spear at him. He was willing to kill his own son at this point. And yet David remained a godly friend and he stayed in God's will despite risk of harm. And finally, Through this intense trial, the friendship between Jonathan and David grew even closer with God at the center of the friendship. 1 Samuel 20, 41 to 42 says, After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. And so we see here that even when things were really, really difficult... I mean, just imagine the dynamics here. It had a recipe for this friendship to really just fall apart. And again, even in an intense trial, because God was at the center of the friendship, they became closer and closer friends. Now, looking at these five uh, kind of things that happened uh, up to this point in 1 Samuel, I want to take a look and answer the question this morning How does this apply to us today? I said at the beginning, if there was one statement that I could summarize this entire message, it would be this. God designed each one of us to experience authentic biblical community with godly friends. And he gave us this example of David and Jonathan to look at what it means to have that biblical godly friendship. But what happens if we don't have this type of friendship in our lives? What if we walk away going, you know what? I'm good. I've got some good friends, maybe not quite like that, but, but I've got good friendships. They're there for me. It's okay. What happens if we don't have these authentic, biblical, godly friendships? Well, really it puts us in danger of isolation. Isolation is typically one of the first signs of someone who desperately needs a godly friend. It's really interesting as a, as a pastor on staff around church because one of the things that seems to happen when people's lives are falling apart, oftentimes they kind of disappear. Stop coming to church. Stop being involved. Stop serving. They, they, they isolate themselves from godly friendships. They seem to be hiding. Interesting how uh, when people come in for counseling, Man, my life's a wreck. My marriage is a wreck. Things are going sideways. Oftentimes, nobody's known about it for months, sometimes even years. They haven't told anybody, they haven't let anybody in. And they've lived in such a way that everybody thought it was okay on the outside because they didn't have that special friend who was willing to dig deeper. So, what qualities? What qualities should you and I be looking for in a godly friend? And what qualities should you possess if you want to be a godly friend? This morning, we're going to look at four biblical qualities of a godly friend. First, a godly friend takes the initiative. 1 Samuel 23, 15 and 16 says this, While David was at Horesh in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. You see, Jonathan pursued David. You need godly friends who are willing to pursue you. And if you want to be a godly friend, you need to be willing to pursue others. He took the initiative, Jonathan did. He did not wait for David to reach out to him. He went to David. We need to be willing to pursue godly friendships. Means picking up the phone. Maybe inviting a friend to coffee. Who might be God bringing to your mind right now of, oh yeah, you know what? I haven't talked to this person in a while. I haven't seen him in a while. I wonder if things are going okay. Okay. I don't think going, things are going okay, but I haven't heard from him in a while. I have a special friend in my life who uh, I would just text or call every every now and then and been friends for many, many years and probably in the last year or so, it was odd. I'd text or call and stop seeing him around as much and send a message and just, hey, let's hang out. Always busy. Just seemed to to not be available, I could just tell something was going on and just would pray, just encourage him, just invite him. Probably a course of a year that happened. And it was just more than maybe a month ago that he reached out to me and he said, hey, I know I haven't been a good friend. I've I've kind of been avoiding you and this is why. And then he begins to just unpack some things that have really gone sideways in his life. But I appreciate the fact that I was one of his first calls only because I had spent this time pursuing him, not, not giving up. I'm gonna keep going after him and I need people in my life. I'm grateful for people in my life that take the initiative. Number two, another biblical quality of a godly friend is a friend who seeks to understand Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. A godly friend is unselfish. A godly friend looks out for the needs of his friend. A godly friend seeks to listen and makes himself or herself available. A godly friend's willing to sacrifice, pray for you, anticipate ways to come alongside you, and this takes time. These types of friendships don't happen overnight. Friendships like these are cultivated, okay? As great as that 10-minute fellowship moment you had, friendships like these are not going to happen if that's all you have is those 10 minutes, Friendships like these don't come from just staring at the back of the same neck week after week in church. I'm sure this church is different, and you guys actually move seats every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) Friendships like these take lots of time listening to one another, sharing life with one another, confessing sin to one another, crying together, laughing together, serving together. And as Hebrews ten twenty four says, spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. Friendships like this don't just happen and need to be invested in and cultivated. They take time. Number three, biblical qualities of a godly friend is a friend who lends a helping hand. 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 18 said, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. A godly friend helps out. He or she is the one who will drop whatever they are doing to come over. A godly friend helps you find strength in God. He or she is there to encourage you when you are down. Godly friends don't give up, and they remind you not to be afraid. I want to take you back to your box for a moment. Who is that godly friend in your life? who are you that godly friend for? If you're not getting that call every now and then, it could be because you're not that godly friend for anybody. You may have a godly friend. You may have that from someone else, but it could be somebody else needs that from you. I have a a particularly special friend in my life, and it's interesting because uh, I, I don't know how it is for other guys, but I've always had a lot of friends. But uh, it's easy to have a lot of friends, but maybe not have those special friendships. Uh, guy friendships that are, kind of have a special level of intimacy is kinda, kinda weird, kinda inf- uh, kind of weird, kind of kind of uncommon maybe. Shouldn't be weird. But I don't know how many guys are really good at that kind of thing. Takes a lot of effort. And I've got a special friend who God has just gifted, gifted to me, especially in these last few years. And sometimes being a pastor on a staff can be a a particularly lonely place. You're you're able to be a lot there for everybody else, but oftentimes it's hard to have friendships. It's hard to let your guard down. It's hard to have somebody that you can just be real with. And I'm really grateful that I've got this godly friend who I can just call at any time. Can we talk now? Can we meet later? Can we hang out? Can I just share life, what's going on with you, with me? Can you pray for me? Can I get advice from you? Not worldly advice, but biblical advice. We all need godly friends who are willing to lend a helping hand. And four, a godly friend ministers primarily to the faith of his brother and sister or sister in Christ. This is really interesting. Uh, Shortly after Jonathan's intervention in 1 Samuel 23, okay, where where Jonathan came and and met with David and encouraged him and prayed for him, David was able to lift his heart with the words of Psalm 57. And I just want to remind you as we read a couple verses in this psalm, I encourage you to read the rest of the psalm later. But in Psalm 57, David wrote this not long after Saul had almost had David killed. And there wasn't just one moment where Saul had tried to have David killed. There was many moments. And so just keep that in mind as we read in Psalm 57, verse 1 says, Have mercy on me. My God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, 7, My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music. I don't think I've ever said that before after somebody has been trying to kill me. I'm grateful I don't think I've ever had somebody try to kill me. And yet this was a real present danger and God used the friend of Jonathan in David's life to come minister to him, minister to his faith in this time of need. And God used Jonathan So that David could be in a place where he could sing and make music for the Lord. A godly friend points you towards God. A godly friend points you to the word of God in good times and bad. I've got lots of friends that will maybe give me some great advice or say, Hey, you know, I love you. Even I'll pray for you, which is great. But rare are the friends that no matter what will always point me right back toward God and his word. A helping hand means speaking the truth in love. We do not need friends that will just support us no matter what. That might seem like a strange statement to make, but here's the deal. If I've got a, if I've got a kneel hanging out of my arm, I don't need a friend that will support me no matter what. I need a friend that'll take the needle out and come alongside me and point me back to God's word. I don't need a friend that will support me when I've gone sideways and in living in an unbiblical way. I need a friend who loves me enough to speak truth in my life calling out sinful behavior when it rears its ugly head, even at the risk of losing that friendship. Do you have a friend who loves you enough to do that for you? Are you that type of friend for anyone? It's easier to surround yourself with friends who won't speak into your life, but a godly friend points you back to the Lord and his word. I want you to go back to the box again. I want you to see, are there any names of friends that you have that reflect a Jonathan David friendship? Maybe there's a name or two that comes to mind that you would like to have that type of relationship with and you want to write their name in the box this morning. Let me conclude our time by just asking you a few questions this morning. Who are the men or women that you are providing this type of godly leadership for? Who are the men or women that provide this type of godly friendship for you? What are your current challenges that are preventing you from experiencing this type of friendship and what might be a next step for you to overcome those challenges? Which men or women can you mentor in the importance of godly friendship? See, it could very well be this morning that you say, look, I've got my one or two or three names in the box. I'm good. I'm a, they are great godly friends for me, and I'm a great godly friend for them. We're good to go. Well, I would challenge you with this. If that's true today, then who are you mentoring? Because I guarantee there's quite a few people who have nobody in their box. They could be sitting in this room, but I guarantee you know some people. You may not even know that you know them or that they don't have anybody like this in their life. But they need somebody to come alongside them They need someone to show them what a godly friend looks like. And I'll tell you this church, this is a fantastic church. But there's not a church that I know of that doesn't have a desperate need for more mentors. It's great to be mentored. It's fantastic. It's fantastic to have people pouring into you. But I'll tell you what, if you're at an even somewhat healthy place before the Lord, if you're a mature believer my goodness, where are you helping someone else and bringing them along? That's how it works. That's how the church was designed. Maybe your next step is getting involved in men's ministry. Just heard about an opportunity to come to a men's event. There's gonna be bacon there. Like, really? What else do you need? More bacon. Amen. That's a great first step for some of you men. Come and meet other godly men. Come hear their stories. Come share your story. Come invite a friend. You've got women's ministries here. Young adults, young marrieds, home fellowship groups. But again, as great as this church is, just coming to church on a Sunday is not gonna be enough. It's not gonna be where you're able to build these authentic, godly, biblical friendships. They're gonna happen in the context of small groups. Maybe it's just calling up a guy or a gal this week and saying, hey, let's let's find a way to meet. Let's just get together. I recently... uh, was challenged really it was in 2017 of going man where where am I investing in some some godly friendships I've got I've got one or two that seems like man that kind of I have a David Jonathan relationship but but where am I looking out for some other guys and just began to pray and God put a couple guys names on my list and I don't know if you guys are like me, but it probably took six months to figure us for how we were actually just going to meet. Uh, we couldn't get our work schedules figured out. We couldn't figure out what we were going to do when we were together. We, I mean, we found every single reason three guys together can make up a whole lot of excuses. And finally, it was, guys, let's just get together, bring your Bibles, we're going to do this. And we now meet, me and these two guys, every single Friday At 6 a.m. for an hour, we open the word of God, we pray for each other, and we keep in touch during the week. And my intent was to, to really come alongside these two guys, but I'll tell you what, it just became obvious from day one that God was gonna use these two men as a great gift in my life. But this applies to gals too, but guys, gals, it could just be as simple as calling that one friend or those two friends this week and just say, let's get together. Don't overcomplicate it. You don't have to have the whole Bible study figured out. Just bring your Bible. Just look at a verse. Just ask how you can pray for one another and stay committed to developing and cultivating that relationship and just watch what God does. My wife's got a, a group of two gals that they meet every now and then. They meet just to pray Sometimes they meet just to have coffee. Sometimes they meet just to cry about momhood. They do Bible study together. They're praying for each other through texting all week long. We all need these types of friendships. As I said at the beginning, God designed each one of us to experience authentic biblical community with godly friends. I wanna close by saying this. There's no greater example of godly friendship than that of Jesus Christ. It's kind of overwhelming that his scripture tells us that we're to call him friend. As I mentioned earlier, I I just returned from Washington DC as a as a chaperone on my daughter's trip. We actually read the scripture there, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. All week long, I was reminded of the sacrifice that men and women have paid. The ultimate sacrifice they paid for our freedom. But even more importantly, I was reminded that Jesus Christ has set the example for us. He laid down his life for you and for me that we might be freed from what we deserve, which is death. No greater love than the love that Jesus has shown us. No greater example of sacrifice. And we're just two weeks away, church. Two weeks away from the greatest story ever written. Of remembering not only the death of Jesus Christ, but more important, the resurrection. We've got a story to tell. And there shouldn't be an empty seat in this church. It should be standing room only at I don't care how many gatherings you have because that's reason to celebrate. And it's not just to celebrate for those that are believers. You've got to get those friends that you have here. Maybe it's those friends that you only see at Christmas at Easter. Maybe it's believing friends. Maybe it's unbelieving friends. But you need to do everything you can to invite them to celebrate Resurrection Sunday and hear the good news about the greatest friend that they could ever have. But it doesn't stop at just inviting them to an Easter service. That's when the opportunity becomes for you to be able to come alongside them as that godly friend. That one that's gonna continue to encourage them, continue to tell them about Jesus, continue to appoint, appoint them back to scripture, continue to invite them in church and that's a lifelong process. And that's what God created the church for. And you have an incredible opportunity to be that special friend to someone else. But don't forget, I don't care who you are. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how great things are going in life. You too need that special, godly friend. I'm gonna pray and invite the worship team up right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. just unbelievable the truth of your scriptures the encouragement of your scriptures the warning in your scriptures the the promises in your scriptures father would we be a people that would just dive into these scriptures every single day we get to hear your voice through your scriptures every single day and father i just pray for the rock church What a a beautiful, beautiful church. The people. And Father, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would use your scriptures to change our hearts. Help us to become more like you. Father, would you use the example of Jonathan and David to help us understand our need for godly friendships. And Father, for those of us that maybe don't have a friendship like that, or we realize that we've got some friends that could be that, but It's just not there. Would you help us understand how to invest more so that we could have a friendship like this? And Father, for those of us who maybe have these friendships, we just thank you for that today. What a gift. Father, would you put the names on our hearts of maybe a person or two or three that we need to mentor in this area. We need to reach out and come alongside someone who maybe doesn't have a friend like this. Father, this is all for your glory and your honor. We're thankful to be able to call you a friend. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. Sometimes it